morning, I really want to uh, preach a message, with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. So let's go ahead and go to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. And we're going to pick up in verse number 23. Mark chapter 10, verse number 23, and we'll read down to verse number 27. Mark writes here, And Jesus looked round about, saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again, and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible." Go ahead and go, Lord, this morning we'll dive into our message. Father, we thank you again, Lord, that you are the God of the impossible. Lord, you delight in doing things that are impossible because, uh, Lord, it's then we see that only you could do it. Only you could um, work in situations. And, and we have our, our whole Bible full of miraculous things that, Lord, only you could have done. And Father, as we look at this message this morning, I pray that it be an encouragement to each one of us, God, that... Um, uh, Lord, not to give up, not to give up hope that even though maybe our desires haven't come to fruition just yet, but God, uh, you work in a whole different timing than what we do. And I just pray that you give us patience and Lord, just help us to uh, um, continue pressing on and, and having faith that Lord, that you'll work in situations that are beyond our control. And Father, we do thank you and we do love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so we live in a world that's where it's easy to believe that God just cannot do some things. Uh, often it is because our perception of God and how He works is wrong. When He doesn't respond in our perceived way or in our time frame, oftentimes we, we dismiss Him. And sadly, there's many Christians who, or even people who thought or had a belief in God, they just walk away from following Him. See, a lot of times where people turn away from the Lord is because God didn't show up or God didn't do something that they expected Him or they wanted Him to do or work in a way that they perceived that was the only way that God could work. And so when He didn't, they just walked away. In this portion of Scripture, a rich young ruler came to Jesus asking how he could receive eternal life. And Jesus, in the preceding verses to 23, um, He knew what was on this young man's heart. He had wealth. He had a lot of things. He knew his attachment to his wealth and his possessions. And so he tells him, uh, go and sell all that you have and follow me. Um, this young man, rather than uh, obeying the Lord and saying, okay, there are some more things that are important than my possessions. There are things more important than my security. Uh, God is more important than that. And so instead of following Christ's commandment and, and, and 
asking him to come after him and follow him, the young man decided to walk away. He decided just to leave Christ behind. Because Christ's response was unexpected. I mean, you know, he said that I've, you know, I've done all the commandments, I've obeyed them, you know, I've done my best, and I've been, I've been a very good Jew, I've been trying to do everything that, that uh, um, is expected of me, and yet the Bible said that Jesus said, there's one thing that thou lackest. He still wasn't trusting God for his life. He was trusting in his possessions, he was trusting in uh, his material goods, and he wasn't trusting God. That's why he said, sell him and, and come to me. He's not, he's not telling everybody, go and, and get rid of all that's your belongings and, and live a life of poverty. Jesus isn't saying that. But he knew that, that the, the thing that was stopping this young man from ever getting saved, from ever becoming a, a born-again Christian, was his wealth, his material, his, his security in those things. And that's why he said, get rid of that and then follow me. I'll take care of you. But instead, that wasn't what the young man was expecting. He was expecting some other thing. You know, maybe he could give a, a bunch of money, and, and that was a way that he could in, inherit eternal life. You know, if I, you know, I've got all this, this wealth, I've got this money. You know, surely if I give it to a good cause, like Jesus' ministry, then I'll be able to have eternal, eternal life. And that wasn't what, what, what Jesus wanted. But that was what this young man possibly was thinking. Um. Jesus then makes an unexpected statement in verse number 23. Take a look at it. Uh, sorry, verse number 24. Or yeah, 23, sorry. And Jesus looked around about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? I mean, when, when the disciples heard that, they were shocked. I mean, they were astonished. Verse 23. Uh, uh, verse number 24, and the disciples were astonished at his words. And I mean, you know, back in that culture, that time frame, those who were, had the most wealth, those who had the most possessions, they were considered the most favored by God. That they were the ones that God has blessed the most. And surely if, if the rich can't have eternal life, and they can't get it, it's very hard for them to do, who then can have eternal life? How, how is this going to be possible? They were, they were shocked. I mean, they thought, aren't those with riches the most blessed by God? Surely they would have the, be the foremost to, to have eternal life. But then Jesus gives a very strange illustration. Look at verse number 25. He says, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. This illustration was, was to show how difficult it was for the wealthy to be saved. Not that they can't be saved, but the fact that most times those who do have wealth, those who do have uh, riches, they have their security in their riches. Meaning, you know, that they have everything that they, that they need. They don't, they don't have to trust God, in a sense, because they have everything. And so, for a rich person to get saved is very difficult because they don't, oftentimes don't realize that, you know what, there are some things that even they don't have, which is Christ and which is salvation. See, the disciples are bewildered at this, at this lesson about salvation. But Jesus makes a statement that we're going to look at 
as a focus of the message this morning. In verse number 27, it says, And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. This morning I want to lift up just how great God is and show you why God is able to do the impossible even in your life this morning. He's still doing the impossible. And there are some things that I don't know about that you're going through that you think is impossible for God to work in these situations. Can I tell you this morning, it's not impossible. God can still work. He can still do some things in those situations. We're going to look at some things this morning, why He can. Perhaps you've been praying about something that seems impossible. But be encouraged because God delights in doing the impossible. And let's see why He can this morning. First of all, uh, God is omniscient. Omniscient means all-knowing. See, God knows what is best for you, even if you think otherwise. See, we all think that winning the Euro Millions would solve all of our problems in our life, and we'd have no more hardships at all. I know we probably all imagine if I only had a million euros, if I only had so much, uh, you know, if I could just win this, this jackpot, if I could just get this chance to get this money, all my problems, all my, my stress would just disappear. Um, but we all know that usually those who come to wealth suddenly are some of the most miserable people because they don't know how to handle it. They don't know how to handle all now having this, this wealth. And sadly, they blow it all. They waste it because they don't know how to manage it. Or they have people who come along and cause them stress and, and hardships. Often the, most, often the rich are the most lonely of people because they don't know if a person is genuinely their friend or if they're only their friend because they have some money and they're looking for a little bit of uh, extra benefits by being their friend. So oftentimes those who do have wealth and are rich they don't have many friends. Or if they do, they always, have to, they always have that doubt in their heart. Is this person really my friend? Does this person really care about me? You know, if I were to die and, and my wealth was gone, would he, would, would he grieve? Would he be concerned? These are things that rich people, they deal with. But sometimes the reason why God doesn't allow things like that is because He does know that wealth would destroy us. And since we no longer need Him to take care of us, we would turn our back on God. Because now we've got all that we need. Why would I need God? You know, Why would I need to trust Him for, uh, to work in my life if I've got everything I need? See, God possesses, without prior discovery of facts, complete and universal knowledge of all things, past, present, and future. This includes not only the actual, but also the possible. See, when we think about time, you know, we, we think of past, present, and future. That's our scope of time. But God is outside of time. He created time. So the things that working with past, present, and future, He sees the whole picture. He sees every single possible choice, every single possible thing that could happen. And this total and immediate knowledge 
is based on His eternity. He has always and will always exist, and His omnipresence, which He has been, is, and will always be everywhere at the same time. Uh, uh, God knows everything because He can see everything. And so He knows, uh, he knows what decisions you're going to make. He knows the path that you're going to, to, to take. That's why when you look at all the Old Testament prophecies and the prophecies uh, that are still yet to come, God knows every single thing that's going to possibly happen. Um, he knows the good choices. He knows every single choice that you make, what path that will bring you down. And yet God still works and He allows you to make those choices. He's not, he's not like a puppet master making you choose things. He's not forcing you uh, to decide some things, especially salvation. He doesn't force you to become a Christian. He doesn't force you to, to do things against, uh, against your will. He allows you to make that decision. But whatever your decision is, He already knows about it. He already knows what's going to happen. And He's already working behind the scenes to, to bring things that to make that decision ultimately become a good thing. Uh, let's look at Psalm 147, verse 5. Uh, hold your place here. We'll come back to it a little bit later. But uh, there are several scriptures I want to share with you this morning. Psalm 147, verse 5. Five. Psalm 147 verse 5 says, Great is our Lord, and of great power. His understanding is infinite. It's infinite. There's no end. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. And verse number 13 and 14. Isaiah 40 says this, he says, Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord? Or being His counselor hath taught Him? With whom took He counsel? And who instructed Him? And taught Him in the path of judgment? And taught Him knowledge and showed to him the way of understanding. So here he's, he's writing and saying, who could have taught God? Nobody could have. You know, he's always, he's always had the wisdom. He's always, you know, no one taught God. So he's kind of, he's, he's, he's saying this kind of, you know, tongue-in-cheek, so to speak. You know, who, who taught God, you know? Um, look at Hebrews uh, 4.13. Hebrews 4.13. Hebrews 4.13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. What uh, the writer of Hebrews is saying here is that, look, God knows everything about us. He knows our thoughts. He knows what we're planning on to do with our, uh, with our day, with our life. And so, uh, God knows all of these things. And so, he's, he, there's nothing that is hid with God. Uh, let's go to Psalm 104, verse 24. Psalm 104, verse 24. 
Psalm 104.24 says, O Lord, how manifold are thy works, meaning how, how many are thy works, and wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. So God made in his wisdom everything. Everything is perfect. All the laws of the, the universe, all the laws of physics, God made them all. He knew that everything had to work together perfectly. There's no way that, that uh, uh, order could come out of chaos. And so he already had them all put into place that would work together perfectly. So God is omniscient uh, because of several reasons. Uh, the first of all is, is he sees all things, both good and bad. Nothing is hid from him. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 15. Here in Psalms, so let's go to Proverbs 15. And at verse number 3. Proverbs 15 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. He sees everything both the good and the bad. Secondly, he knows all things, both big and small. Let's go back to Psalm 147. We looked at there just a little bit ago. We looked at verse number 5. Let's look at verse number 4. Psalm 147, verse number 4. Actually, let's, do, let's read both of them together again. Verse number four says, He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. Have you ever tried to count all the stars? <laughs> it's nearly impossible. It is, I think, pretty much impossible. And yet God knows every single one of them by name. That's amazing. He knows everything he knows them all because he created them all uh, let's go to matthew chapter 10 in verse number It says, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. I mean, think about that. And look at verse number 31. It says, Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before the Father which is in heaven. And, uh, and look at, um, you know, if you look here, God is saying, look, He knows every single hair that's on your head. Um, that's amazing to think about that. That He knows you so intimately. He knows the least bit part of you by number. That's how much He cares about you. That's how much He uh, knows so much. You know what, and the, the birds, they usually, you know, they don't have to worry most of the time about what their food is because God's taking care of them. 
And yet, God's, Jesus is saying here, you're of much more value, paraphrasing it, um, you're more value than many sparrows. So God knows how to take care of you. He knows what needs you're going through. He knows the hurts that you might be experiencing right now. He knows the trials that you're going through. Trust Him and draw close to Him. And lastly, He's omniscient because He knows mankind intimately because He created us. See, He knows our thoughts. He knows our words. He knows our deeds. He knows our sorrows, our dreams, our needs, our frailties, and He also knows our foolishness. This is why 1 Peter 5.7 is written for us, which says, Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. That's why He knows what you're going through. You know, when He was uh, here in the flesh, He experienced the temptations that you experience. He understands what it feels like to lose somebody. He understands what it feels like to grieve. He understands what it feels like to experience pain. He understands all these things. That's why when we're burdened and we're having a hard time with maybe some situation in our life, that's when we can give it to God and say, Lord, I can't handle this. You have to take it. That's why, we have to, that's why He tells us, cast all your care upon Him. Because He's the only one who can take it anyway. There's nothing that you have that you're dealing with that God can't handle. He can handle it all. So whatever you're going through, give it to Him. But here's the thing, when you give it to Him, don't just take, pick it back up and take it, take it along again. Leave it with Him. Let Him work. Let Him take care of the problems. Let Him take care of all the details. Because He knows them anyway, and He knows how to work the situation best. Secondly, this morning, God is omnipotent, and He is infinite. Uh, let's go to Revelation chapter 19. Last book in your Bible, Revelation chapter 19, verse number 6. Now, this is at the marriage supper of the Lamb, when this portion of Scripture is, is written here and taking place. 19, verse number 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Omnipotent means all-powerful. See, God can do anything, and there are no limits to His power. This means that God can do anything if it can be done, and if it does not contradict His own word and His nature. For example, what I mean here is that God cannot lie, He cannot steal, for these would contradict His own nature of holiness. So there's some things that, yes, God cannot do because they would conflict with who He is. But He cannot lie. You know, he cannot, uh, he cannot deceive you because that would be, a, a, that would be a, in conflict of who He is. So, um, there are many areas where God's omnipotent is clearly seen. And we see this all throughout Scripture. Now, these are just some, a few examples. Uh, but God has power over nature. Uh, we see that when Jesus calms the storm, don't we? I mean, all He says is just speak to it. Peace, be still, and it just instantly calms. We see that over nature. Uh, we see it over men. 
Uh, in Daniel chapter 4, we see the humbling of King Nebuchadnezzar, where he becomes a beast. And uh, because he lifted himself up and said, look at what I did. This is my kingdom. I did this all. And uh, God said, no, I'm the one who controls things in this universe. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar was humbled, and he became a beast for years. And finally, his, his reasoning clicked back in his head, and he realized just how um, foolish he was, thinking that he did it all. And, he, and Scripture says that he completely trusted and put his faith in Christ. He also is able to do the impossible. In Genesis 18, 14, he tells Abraham and Sarah they're going to have a child uh, a year after, or within that next year. And that, um, uh, you know, Sarah at this time was 75 uh, years old. And, um, no, I'm sorry, she was 90 years old. She was 90 years old and um, well past the, the time of being able to have children. And yet God said, According to this time next year, you'll have a son. He's able to do the impossible. He's able to even to work over, uh, have power over men. And he's a, he was able to, to allow a virgin to give birth to his son. He has power over angels. Let's look at Psalm 103, verse 20. Psalm 103, verse 20. Here David's writing, and he's saying, Bless ye the Lord, all ye, or, sorry, verse number 20. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all of his hosts, ye ministers of his, that do his pleasure. He has power over all the angels. He has power over Satan and all of his demonic hosts, his devils. See, when Satan uh, wants to work and wants to do something in the life of a, of, of a believer, he has to get God's permission. You know, we see that all throughout uh, Job chapter 1 and 2, where, um, you know, uh, the devil wanted to, to afflict Job and he had to get God's permission. And that's still to, uh, true in the life of Christians today. It really is. Uh, even as uh, um, when, before Jesus was crucified, he tells Peter, Peter, I've prayed for you because the devil wants to sift you like wheat. He's going he's to cause you some, some heartache coming up. He's going he's to he's gonna try your faith. But, but Peter, I'm letting you go through that. You have to go through that. He says once you're converted, once you've gone through that time and your heart is, is secure and, and what you believe in, your faith is, is, is firm, strengthen the brethren. You have, you know, he, he knew that Peter had to go through that time of sifting in order to really become who uh, Peter could become. You know? And so sometimes God allows us to go through that sifting, through those, those hardships, because you know, uh, sometimes we need some things pruned out of our hearts, pruned out of our lives. And it isn't pleasant when you're getting pruned. But sometimes God has to cut some things away that are, are dead, that aren't producing anything. And, um, and so that's why he allows the devil sometimes to, to sift us. He has power over diseases. I mean, we see that all throughout Scripture where he 
heals the lepers and, and those that, were, that, that came to him, the multitudes that came to Christ uh, to be healed. He has power over death, and this one I'm, I'm thankful for. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And verse number 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. So Christ, when He died, He resurrected. He conquered death forever. He took the control out of the, the hands of the devil. And now we as Christians no longer have to fear death. You know, we also see several times in the life of Christ where He raised people from the dead. Um, we see Nicodemus as a, uh, not Nicodemus, um, Lazarus as a, as a perfect illustration. We see the young maid that had died. She was 12 years old, and he, and he raises her from the dead. And also the young widow's son, um, you know, he just, all, just goes in there and he just, just touches, touches the, um, the, the beer there and, and uh, that he's being carried in, and he raises from the dead. We also see it in the lives of Elijah and Elisha. See, God is a God of the living, not of the dead. He's a God of the living, not of the dead. And these are just a few examples of, of what God's power has over. Um, see, God's power and strength will never weaken because He is infinite. See, we grow older and we grow weaker, don't we? But God will never grow weak. Nothing can make Him lose His power. There's no kryptonite when it comes to the Lord. <laughs> you know, kryptonite's what made Superman weak. You know? God has no weaknesses. Nothing will, can stop Him from working. God has no limitations. He is bound only by His own nature, His Word, and His will. God can do the most miraculous things we think of because He can. Because He can. But there's one thing, though, that may hinder God from working in our life, and that is our unbelief. See, when we do not believe God and who He is, often He does not work in the situations when we would have, when He could have done something amazing if only we would have believed Him and His Word. Jesus experienced this at Nazareth. Jesus, after He had gone through the wilderness, uh, He came back to His hometown and uh, went to the synagogue there. And, and His desire, I believe, was to help those who He grew up around he knew the burdens. He knew um, uh, the, the cares that they had. And so when he went up there and went to the synagogue and he read from Isaiah and said, this today, this, this scripture is fulfilled, the people said, who's this guy? You know, isn't this, isn't this the son of Joseph? You know, we know him. We know his brothers. We know his, we know his sisters. We know his brethren. He can't be the Messiah. Who is this guy? And the Bible says that there he healed he could do no mighty work, but he healed a few sick people. That was it. I believe God wanted to do something great in Nazareth, but because of the unbelief of the people about who he was, he didn't. He didn't. 
God wants to do some amazing things in your life. But sometimes our unbelief, when we say, God, I, I, I just don't believe you can do it, then he's not going to do it. He's not going to do it. That's why we trust him and say, Lord, I can't do this, but I'm leaving it in your hands. Lastly, this morning, he's omnipresent. <laughs> Great theologian A.H. Strong defines this attribute as follows. God in the totality of his essence, without diffusion or expansion, multiplication or division, penetrates and fills the universe in all of its parts. Uh, the omnipresence of God means that He is present everywhere, with His whole being at the same time. Now, the great danger to avoid in rightly understanding this attribute is the grievous error of pantheism, which says that God is everywhere and everything is God. This is totally false. But two aspects should be kept in mind as one studies the omnipresence of God. First of all is uh, His eminence. This speaks of God being in the world, acting within and through His creation. Also, His transcendence. This affirms that God is above and beyond His creation. Psalm 139, let's go ahead and go there real quick. 139 and uh, verse number 7 through 12. Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12. The psalmist writes here, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. You know, Jonah tried to do that, didn't he? He tried to run away from God. So he thought, well, if I can just go to Tarshish, it's the furthest place that, that he could think of, that he could get a, a ship to, that God wouldn't be able to get to, to have him go back to Nineveh. We know how that worked out, don't we? He couldn't run from God. And even in the depths of the Mediterranean Sea, God was still there with Jonah in the whale. We can't escape God because he is everywhere. He's in all places. Let's go to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. And verse number 20. Matthew 18, 20 says this, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Now, praise the Lord, we have a little more than two or three gathered here this morning. But there's several who are gathered in McCroom this morning. There are several who are 
gathering in, in, in Bible-believing churches all across this nation, all across Europe, all across America, and yet the Bible says wherever two or three are gathered, God is there. Isn't that amazing? Think that He's not, he's not bound just to one spot that he can be in all these different places with all these different believers. And here's another thing that's, that's amazing, is that God dwells inside every single believer through the Holy Ghost, through the Holy Spirit. He is within every single born-again Christian, not just living in the pastor or the godliest of people. See, in the Old Testament times, uh, the Holy Spirit would only come and dwell on certain people for a certain amount of time. But yet... Now God dwells in all born-again Christians. And He seals Himself inside of us, meaning He's not going anywhere. We can't lose Him, meaning we can't lose our salvation. So when the day that we die, when we breathe our last breath, the Holy Spirit departs and He takes our soul to heaven. And He's inside every single person. That's amazing when you think about it. That He's able to be a part of our lives intimately, just like that. Let's look back in Mark chapter 10, and we'll finish this morning. Mark chapter 10. Verse number 23 again. Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? The disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answering again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looking upon them saith, With men... It is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. See, the disciples asked a very good question. They said, well, if, if, rich, if, if wealthy people can't inherit, can't get eternal life with their riches, who can be saved then? You know, if, if who we think is the most blessed by God, and they can't get eternal life, how? How is this possible? See, I brought you through a few attributes of God this morning that reveals how amazing that He is and how He works in every person's life to bring them to salvation. See, God is constantly drawing those without Christ to Him. But sadly, some choose to ignore Him. And He uses all three of the attributes that we looked at this morning to bring people to Christ. See, when He was talking about here, uh, with for men, it is impossible, meaning man can't earn his salvation. Man cannot uh, work his way. He can't buy enough in order to get to heaven, to have eternal life. He said, for man, it's impossible. They're always going to fall short. We said, with God, anything, all things are possible. So we look at these different attributes. First of all, he knows um, how to convict our hearts of our sin. He knows what situations may be needed for us to acknowledge our need of salvation. 
He knows every choice that you're going to make down every path that you take. He knows your future if you get saved, and He knows your life if you refuse Him. He knows everything about you. So He knows how to work in your life to where you'll acknowledge your need of a Savior. He can do whatever it takes to get your attention. What those who demand God to prove Himself to them fail to realize, that is, even if He did appear in front of them, they still wouldn't believe, and it wouldn't be faith. Isn't that what uh, Thomas, he had problems with? You know, the, the other uh, ten disciples say, Oh man, uh, you missed it, Thomas. Jesus was here. And what Thomas say? Well, unless Jesus is standing in front of me and I can, and, and I can put my, 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 my hands, my fingers, in through the nails of his hands, I'm not going to believe. And what happens? Jesus appears, and as soon as he does, Thomas realizes, I made a foolish, foolish comment. Jesus says, Thomas, behold my hands. Feel my, my side where I was pierced. And he says, you know, he said, you believe because you see. I'm paraphrasing it. He said, you believe because you have seen me. He said, more blessed are those who believe without seeing. See, even if God, those, you know, we have skeptics all around us, don't we? And so if God does exist, prove himself. You know, do some miraculous thing, and then I'll believe that there's a God. See, they want God to, to, to work in a situation where they think only God can do. And the fact is, God's already proved himself. He already proved himself. I dealt with this a little bit last time I preached a couple weeks ago. You know, he's already done all he has to do in order to prove himself that he's real, that he's alive and that His Word can be trusted. See, God will work in some amazing ways because He loves you so much, and He does not want you to die and go to hell. He allows some things to happen in your life because He's trying to bring you to a place where you, you realize that you need Him. And He's doing this in love. He's not doing it because He hates you or He, does, or he wants to ruin your life. If anything, it's because He wants to be more involved in your life. He wants you just to trust Him. To let Him work, because when He works and He allows things to happen in our life, it's always for good. Even though we may not understand it at the time, He allows these things to happen because He knows what's best for us. He's like a great father. You know, most fathers want the best for their children, don't they? They want them to succeed. They want the, the best for them. But they know sometimes, you know what? They can't give them everything. They have to, they have to say no sometimes. They have to maybe allow them to go through some situations where they have to grow up. They have to learn, you know, about life. And so sometimes God has to bring us through some situations like that to help us mature, to help us grow up. He's everywhere and working on people all throughout the world. This is why our prayer are, is so important. Because they can impact people that aren't, aren't just nearby that they can uh, affect people all throughout this world, loved ones that we're praying about for their salvation. You know, our prayers are not just hindered to a region, but they can pray and we can pray about those that we love and that we care about who we don't get to see hardly anymore. We pray for their salvation. That's why it's so important to keep on praying for them, praying for their needs. God isn't bound by just a local spot. He's everywhere. He's working everywhere. 
So in conclusion this morning, salvation, forgiveness of our sin, and eternal life are things that cannot be earned or achieved with what we do in life. It cannot be purchased by our material wealth or good works. Without the revelation by the Word of God of our sinfulness and God's forgiveness, we'd have no interest in God or needing to be saved. We wouldn't even know who God is without being taught. Think about that. Where would you be if you never heard about God? If no one ever showed you a Bible? You know, where would your life be right now? Would you even be still alive? Would you have made some mistakes and made some errors that could have cost you your life? But thankfully, God brought someone across our path that showed us the Word of God, told us about God and how we could be saved and how God could forgive us of our sins. See, God knew that. God knew that. Secondly, we are powerless when it comes to working our way to salvation. Everything that has been a good work or helpful to others before we were saved is seen in God's eyes as nothing but a filthy rag. Our own righteousness will always fall short of being able to get us into heaven. See, Jesus is the only way that you can be saved. His death on the cross was the fulfillment of God's plan for the redemption of the souls of man. God used all of His attributes to bring it to pass and is available to all who would trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, can I ask you, what is stopping you like the young ruler? What's stopping you? Nothing is worth the value of your soul, and there's nothing that you can do to earn forgiveness. God did everything to purchase your salvation. So why are you ignoring it? See, life is too fragile. And, we, and you may never have another chance to trust Christ. See, no one knows what happened to this young ruler, do we? When he walks away from Christ, that's the last we ever hear about him. So we don't know uh, if he ever trusted Christ. He may have said, you know what? He's not what I thought he was. And so he walked away. And if he did, and he never trusted Christ, he's still in eternity in hell. He's still, he's still in hell. Can I ask you this morning, don't make his same mistake. Don't make the same mistake this young ruler made. God has been working in your life to bring you to a place where he wants to be a part of your life. He wants to save you. But there's some, some people, there's just something stopping you. Don't know what it is, but what is it? Don't be like that young ruler. Come to Christ this morning. If you want to know how you can be saved, I'd love to show you. I'd love to show you through the Word of God how you can know that your sins are forgiven, that you have a home in eternity, that you don't have to live this life wondering, well, I hope I'll be able to get to heaven. I hope I'll be able to do enough good works to get there. Can't live that way. Can't live that way and never have peace. And so I just want to challenge you this morning. Don't be like that young ruler. Trust Christ this morning. Let's go ahead and bow in a word of prayer. We'll be finished this morning. Father, I thank you so much that you worked in my life. God, you allowed some situations to happen in my life that, um, that brought me to a place where I realized I needed you as my Savior. 
Lord, you didn't force me to make that decision. You didn't uh, twist my heart and my arm, so to speak, to, to make me become a born-again Christian. Lord, I just realized because of the uh, events that and the realization of death and eternity, Lord, that I knew that you were the only hope that I had. Lord, that because of my sin, I was on my way to hell and that I only could have salvation and forgiveness through you. And Lord, I'm, I, I'm thankful that you did save me uh, wow, almost 19 years ago. And Lord, I just thank you, Lord, for your grace in my life. Lord, I pray that there's some here that as they look at just how amazing you are, uh, all these different attributes that we looked at, that they wouldn't make the same decision as this young ruler. Lord, he just he didn't understand. He thought he could earn salvation some way, somehow. And yet, Lord, you wanted him to follow you. Yet he chose instead to walk away. Lord, I pray that there's someone here that they wouldn't walk away from you, Lord. That they wouldn't walk away from uh, maybe the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit that you know they're, they're not sure if they are saved. Um, Lord, that they would get that settled this morning. Father, we just thank you so much again, so much for your grace and for your great love for us, Lord. Allowing us to see and, and experience some impossible things happening in our life. And Lord, uh, you do allow things to, to happen in our life for the good. Uh, and I just, I just pray, Lord, that you would just continue to work. I pray that you continue to be with these impossible prayer requests that we have in the, the bulletin that we had two years ago. Lord, there's a lot of people whose salvations are in there. Lord, I know you're still working. I, and I ask that you would not give up on them. Keep working on their hearts. That we'd see people get saved. Our loved ones, our family, our friends. And uh, Lord, that we'd be able to give you all the honor and glory uh, for what you do. And Lord, I just thank you so much again that Lord, there's nothing you cannot do, and yet all things are possible with you. And I thank you, Lord, that you are uh, all-powerful, all-knowing, and that you're everywhere that, uh, that believers need you to be in. And Father, we thank you so much again for this message this morning. And we thank you, Lord, for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.